This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of August 8th, 2020. Stone loses their CEO. I'm sure it wasn't job performance related. Scotch whiskey salvaged from an 80-year-old wreck. Buffalo Wild Wings too busy, yada yada, didn't ask if they should. Bourbon edition. Medieval pandemic problems require medieval pandemic solutions. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, a show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker, and let's get right into the news. Uh, this week in Stone, I think. Uh, Stone Brewing, San Diego's uh, San Diego County's largest brewery, confirmed Wednesday that its CEO, Dominic Engels, has resigned. I don't know if it's Engels or Angels. Uh, has resigned following a four-year tenure with the company, but did not offer any explanation for the departure. It's Dominic Engels Wilder. <laughs> right. Uh, Stone co-founder Steve Wagner in an email in in an email the statement Wednesday said he would be filing or filling in as interim chief executive and that Greg Cook, uh, the one who was usually in the news, also a co-founder, will remain executive chairman of the board. The company, though, declined to share any additional information about their resignation. Uh, Quote, we will be working to find the right person to lead the company's advancements and growth. We wish Dominic well and thank him for all that he's contributed to Stone. In this unprecedented environment we're operating in, both Greg and I believe in our company's unique position in, in the world and that we are poised to come to the other side of this pandemic as a healthy business. Look, if there's mm-hmm. someone that believes in Stone, it's Greg Cook. <laughs> yeah. Facts. Um, so about uh, about the former CEO now, uh, he joined Stone as um, chief executive in September 2016. So he's only been there four years. Um, mm-hmm. following a stint as president of Palm Wonderful, <laughs> the pomegranate juice. Uh, I, I was honestly wondering when you said Palm Wonderful, I was like, oh, that like not the pomegranate juice, right? There's no way it's the palm. Oh, it's so he it's was at Palm juice. when they did, uh, when they were the main sponsor on, um, crap. What was it? Oh. The follow-up movie to, I do not remember the name of the movie though. Yeah, Deadpool Super Size. No, to supersize me. Yeah. Because it was he did the whole thing. It was about advertising, and so like the whole movie was funded by sponsors, <laughs> and by like whichever one gave the most got to be the whoever presents. So it was Palm Wonderful pre- presents a Morgan Spurlock film. Yeah, Morgan Spurlock exercise in misdirection. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, uh, so. He's been there a few years, and um, he actually replaced Cook, um, who had announced a year earlier he would step down as the CEO. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's just kind of one of the many things in this um, bananas world that we're in. <laughs> yeah, I... Hold on. Uh, I just glanced down to see overseeing sales, marketing, and operations for wonderful pistachios and almonds, plus I... pomegranate <laughs> juice. I, when I saw that, I was like, you know, we're just... in Africa. you see that and you <laughs> keep scrolling on down. There's a whole paragraph of them blaming sales right now on health conscious. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's well. I mean, no. they're not wrong. People are carbs. more health conscious, and that's okay. Well, not the carbs. <laughs> too many carbs and beer, and that's what we're selling. Um, I don't think anybody cares about carbs okay. anymore. <laughs> I guess. Well, also... I mean, yeah, that, that's what all the brewers are saying. Though was like, oh, we gotta get in the seltzer train because everyone's trying to be healthy. True. True. So. <clears throat> I guess it also bears mentioning uh, a lot of people are upset about stones. It only, I forgot to look it up and just find out officially if it is a lawsuit, but they did have legal representation reach out to a brewery in southeastern Kentucky who uses the word stone in their name. And so many people are all butthurt and upset. And they're, they've gone as far as to like emailing and messaging the company and people within the company direct threats. Yeah. Um, and then people are trying to go and rate all their beers very poorly, stones, in like some kind of defiance. And it's like, they don't care what you think. I'm sorry, but South, they don't sell much beer in southeastern Kentucky. Well, they do. It's just not, not but craft this is, beer. If you follow stone, this is what they do. Yeah. Like you don't put stone or arrogant anywhere in any of your stuff unless you're just begging them to come demand you change your name <laughs> i mean they have a copyright on it never mind that keystone's older than them <laughs> they just didn't uh, get to that patent office quick enough they didn't have the flag you need a flag you need a flag uh yeah between the keys i feel like during the tenure of this dude's time as a <laughs> uh you know chief executive they've had it's basically been tied up in lawsuits that they've that i feel like greg cook is getting them getting them into and it's just like uh. and maybe that's it maybe he's just like I, I i cannot keep working with this he's like this is the most i've had to deal with legal things ever to <laughs> forget this but he is he was also there when they had to close down the uh uh the so german that, brewery. yeah well, well when they closed down all their international breweries yeah and uh shops so they closed the one and was it like singapore or something yeah, they had one? Like, yeah so no shanghai i think okay. so they closed that one they closed the gigantic brew works they had in germany so they may have just brought him on to shut stuff down he, yeah i mean he, they could have brought him in you know because sometimes you have hatchet men who come in and just go like yeah. all right you're going to come out of this thing leaner meaner and ready to that cleaner. could be like, i don't know but if if we looked it up we might see that like during his tenure at palm they scaled a lot of things back shut down some facilities and you know wrangled in and tightened up things that may be where you know why he came to them yeah. so yeah it's a theory <sighs> i don't know it's 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 a little it's a little weird uh i mean it, you know i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure he's he's not going to be hurting for a new job necessarily someone's gonna hire him or yeah, oh, yeah. he'll be fine or, or he's got enough money uh i never really feel that bad for the ceos that happen to move positions i'm like they'll, they'll be okay which makes all those steve jobs biograph uh like biopics make me laugh because i'm just like you say this like i care <laughs> he lost apple yeah because he was you understand he was a jerk, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of a jerk and kind of a massive idiot. But I also, mean, but also really smart in other respects. I was very creative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's fine. 
rich people will usually end out just fine spending their money on on things like shipwrecked whiskey yeah i mean i would uh if you ever dreamed of owning a bottle of whiskey pulled from the planks of one of the most famous shipwrecks in modern history now's your chance a bottle of scotch salvaged from the 1941 wreck of the ss politician is currently up for auction and is expected to be sold for upwards of twenty thousand dollars according to forbes uh, 41 dear- i just like I, I hear a shipwreck and i i, I think like you know 1700 yeah. yeah yeah so during world war ii the ss politician was headed for jamaica via scotland carrying an estimated twenty-eight thousand cases of whiskey when it struck rocks along the shores of eriskay an island off the coast of northern scotland so they they didn't get like they didn't make it anywhere. far yeah <laughs> they got in the boat like all right let's back her out we'll take it on water oh god See, what's so amazing is that the locals missed a bottle when salvaging the wreck. <laughs> Officials attempted to salvage the wreck, but locals had already begun rummaging through the wreckage. Told you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you joke, was but... a, I was making a joke, but no. <laughs> Leave it to the Scots. <laughs> Government officials accused locals known to be involved of thievery and unpaid duties, resulting in a battle with tax collectors. Legal controversy inspired uh, the 1947 novel Whiskey Galore. I've got to get this now. <laughs> but there's there's two movie adaptations in 1949 and in 2016. Someone be looking those up. Uh, the mm-hmm. bottle available at Grand Whiskey Auction was not recovered during the infamous events of 1947. The seller George Curry instead salvaged the bottle along with two other divers in 1987. Curry told Press and Journal, uh, at the time, we just kept the whiskey as a souvenir and didn't think too much about it. But it has been 33 years now, and it feels like it's time to let it go. We've been keeping it inside this uh, tanning bed this whole time. I knew it. You knew what? Sorry. On the article, there was a picture, and I was like, is that Eddie Izzard? It is. He's in the 2016 movie of this. (gasps) Oh, oh, it is. Okay, I understand now why during planning you shouted, is that Eddie Izzard? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh, the lot comes with the 80-year-old Scotch, a poster for the 2016 film, because why not? Uh, Curry's diving helmet and bricks pulled from his dive. At the time of publishing, the current bid price is at $7,816.20. The reserve has not yet been met with the auction scheduled to end on August 10th. So, uh, so publishing time, of this, you'll have maybe a day. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I just imagine like the legal controversies for, for all of that. There's just bound to be someone there just picking up a bottle. Like, sir, you can't, you can't take that. That's, <laughs> that's property of, uh, sir, I, I, you can't drink that. <laughs> <laughs> can't sue me now. It's in me. It's pretty fantastic, though. I tried to make half a joke, and <laughs> and it was true. Did you see the poster? Yeah, it's just the best. Sorry. Uh, I mean, how how do you imagine eighty year old shipwrecked? It's probably whiskey. not actually that good. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's been sitting on a shelf since 1987. So that's what killed it. If it had been under, if it had stayed in the ocean this whole time, they just brought it up like last year and kept it, you know, in similar conditions. That's true. It would probably be amazing. Now it's just straight peat or salty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just going to be salt water. Mm. Uh, Unfortunate. Do you think it's still going to be better than whatever Buffalo Wild Wings is going to be making? Yes. And anything is <laughs> sweaty feet are. Well, Buffalo Wild Wings is releasing its own single barrel bourbon whiskey. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, this article from Forbes says perhaps it was only a matter of time. Buffalo Trace and Buffalo Wild Wings. Crossover appeal was ultimately too t- tempting to resist. For the first time ever, the Kentucky Straight Bourbon is partnering with the uh, with the country's largest sports bar brand. Result, a special eight-year-old American whiskey available exclusively at the Spicy Chicken Wing Chain, specifically at locations in Florida, Georgia, Colorado, Nevada, and California. Not even in Kentucky. You... Or Ohio, but yeah. Look, nothing belongs in Ohio. Uh, (laughs) As a bourbon enthusiast, you're well aware, Buffalo Trace Distillery in Frankfurt is home to such brands as Pappy Van Winkle, uh, W.L. Weller, and Blanton's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's home to Pappy Van Winkle and other other bourbons you're going to try to do is your methadone for Pappy Van Winkle. Look, I was talking with someone else while looking at the liquor store uh, over the last couple of weeks. And it, just, you glance at the shelf and you keep going down through like, well, first, it, first they came for the Pappy and you used to be able to find Weller sitting on to, the shelf. And then, then I said you, nothing. <laughs> and then they came for the Weller and we said nothing. Then they came for the Ingle Rare and we said nothing. Now the Buffalo Trace is gone and I'm saying something. But yeah. next, they're going to come for the ancient age. Like they're going to discover, oh yeah, that that all that like they have a bottom of the barrel whiskey that comes out of that place that you can get for like twenty dollars. And someone's pretty soon, gonna, someone's going to think they can take that and just keep it on a shelf somewhere, and it will turn into Pappy Van Winkle somehow. Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, Anyway, the oldest continuously operated distillery in the U.S. is also registered for National Historic Landmark. Uh, in 2018, the facility uh, filled its seventh million, seven millionth barrel since prohibition. Uh, but yeah, they, like they they mentioned, you can procure a lot of their stuff for under thirty dollars if you can find it hmm. direct from. Okay, that's what Buffalo Trace is selling it for. Not what anyone who purchases it and is selling it at their store is selling it for. True. Uh, But yeah, the uh, apparently the master distiller has been administering the single barrel select program in this process rather than standard offerings, a consistent batching of many different casts. Participating bars, restaurants, and retailers have an opportunity to work with uh, uh, Harlan Wheatley to choose some of the uh, something more tailored to their exact exact specifications. Buff- folks at Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, Wheatley made a selection himself. He opted for a cooperage that extent ex- exerted richer and smokier flavors uh, with a sense of how these notes might uh, complement spicy chicken wings and barbecue sauce. <laughs> they have a video where he kind of explains why he, you know, what he was doing. Uh, if you read between the lines, you can really get that he's saying, look, we didn't know what the hell we were going to do with this barrel. <laughs> Until Buffalo Wild Wings showed up, and I said, "F it, let's give it to them." <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, 
I'm not. I'm just saying, whiskey is not what I think of when I no. think. Uh, <laughs> hey, let's get uh let's get some wings. I usually think, eh, f it, I might have a Bud Light this time. <laughs> I'm well, already having wings. What apparently flavor doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you know what might matter to you? Contactless yeah. service. Contactless service. What? All right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Florence, Italy. Um, Italy probably. Uh, you know, <laughs> they're they're they've learned some things and they're keeping up with the contactless business. Uh, they have Flor- some experience. Turns out there's been some experience with pandemics in Europe before. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Florence revives medieval plague era wine windows for contactless service. Yes. In, in Florence, the need for bars and restaurants to serve food and drinks in a socially distanced manner has been as seen a medieval architectural oddity revived. Wine windows, known locally as uh, Brugette del Vino, I think are that small means wine windows. <laughs> yeah, I'm just <laughs> or trying windows to, like... for wine. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to read. I don't know what that first word Windows actually is, is said properly. That um, or it's bruschetta. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, are small hatches carved into the walls of over 150 buildings in Florence and Tuscany? First introduced in the 17th century, the windows were originally used by merchants to sell surplus goods such as wine. During the Italian plague of the 1630s, the windows offered the perfect solution for stores to continue doing business while isolating from the public. Technically, now, it's not a medieval era. It's a post-Renaissance era. True, but, I mean, medieval always sounds better in headlines, really. Uh, now, for the first time in generations, a handful of wine windows across Florence are once again being used for their original purpose. Over time, as their need became defunct, many windows or wine windows were covered up or filled in with concrete. I want to some... say, why would you do this? But also, I bet it's drafty. A little bit, yeah. Um, but and some... people, you know, reaching arms through them or something weird. Yeah. You or just, like, reaching other things there. through them. Chris, <laughs> what else could you mean? Feet? <laughs> yes. Uh, some functioning examples remain in the city and the few bars and restaurants that contain them are taking full advantage. These days, bars such as Osteria del Brache uh, are not just serving wine from their windows. They're offering gelato, coffee, and of course... Operal spritzes. Spritzes? Yeah. Um, there's actually a picture of them in the article and it looks Yeah, you can really amazing. just <laughs> kind of get an arm through them. Like they're yeah. not they're not that big. It's as they're showing, like it's it's barely bigger than the glass that they're handing through the window. But it but given the you know <laughs> the the need and the or the reasoning, I guess, it makes a lot of sense. And it is <laughs> so when you see it, how the the, the window is, it's it's below an actual like barred up window. Yeah. And it's just this little doorway essentially well, carved in. You can look out through, you know, with your eyes out the regular window and then just <laughs> stick your hand. Yeah. Out. That's exactly how it's, it's way. If you look at this and real look at it, like it's like a bank teller's window. And what would that little doorway be perfect? You know what? I'm just going to leave her arms. I mean, really. yes, yes, arms. That's exactly what would be right there. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what could also be right there? 
some fat tire if you're willing to pay. A nice fat tire reached through that window. Uh, yeah, so New Belgium, well, they were up to a little bit this past week. I think it was, well, let's get here and see if they say it. Uh, sometimes the best way to get someone's attention is by shocking them. And today, uh, on International Beer Day, which was this past Friday, hmm. uh, New Belgium Brewing Company was aiming to do just that. Uh, to mark its flagship beer, Fat Tire, becoming the first nationally distributed U.S. beer to earn carbon-neutral certification, the company decided to adjust its pricing for 24 hours to $100 per six-pack. I mean, Fat Tire's okay, but I really don't want to drop $100 on it. <laughs> Most brands celebrate milestones with some discount promo hype, but uh, here New Belgium is trying to make a point beyond itself. To give beer drinkers a peek in at the impending and expensive future. Uh, we're obviously in the middle of a terrible economic and health situation related to the pandemic, says New Belgium CEO Steve Fitchheimer. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, it's quite a small impact compared to that of climate change over time. We think it's a good time to raise that awareness because there is something to juxtapose, ju uh, juxtapose it against. And help people understand what happens when something significant impacts the economy and the way we live our lives. That's what climate change is going to do. It's slower than the pandemic, but it's going to be more severe. So the $100 six-pack is a way to raise that awareness. Beer is just uh, one of many industries that is heavily dependent on natural resources. Water, wheat, barley, hops, citrus fruits. Uh, these are things with supply chains being impacted today. And that impacts the beer we can make and the price we can sell it for. It's a problem, but it's going to be a much bigger problem. To promote the new pricing and the issue behind it, the brand is taking out full-page ad in the New York Times, reminiscent of another counterintuitive marketing move, uh, Patagonia's infamous Don't Buy This Jacket ad ahead of Black Friday in 2011. Like the outdoor retailer, New Belgium is a B Corp that wears its concern for the environment on its beer-soaked sleeve. Since 1991, the company has been the, uh, the first wind-powered brewery producing its own electricity on-site through solar and biogas technology, <laughs> as well as advocating for climate change action, action alongside groups such as Protect Our Winters. Hmm. So, yeah... Uh, what is it? Uh, both of their um, tap rooms uh, with the breweries, all tips go <clears throat> uh, get donated to local national parks and forests. Oh yeah, yeah. Because like, I mean, like, if you was, take one of their tours, they are all about you know saving and reclamating and doing everything they can. Yeah, dealing with them biogas. <laughs> Uh, now, to avoid living in a world where every six-pack costs $100 every day, the company's awareness campaign is going beyond just International Beer Day with the new information education site called drinksustainably.com. So, I will say one little problem with this. This has already happened, right? Yeah, it's done and over with. Yeah, I had no knowledge that this happened at all. So, I don't know how much awareness it raised. <laughs> I mean, we're talking I mean, about it now, but you say we're talking about it. I just made like it right, right when it happened. I went, oh, it did who now? 
I'm sure somebody saw it, like got a shock when they were. Uh, I wonder where it was because it's not like gas stations or liquor stores were going to be selling it for a hundred dollars. Oh, probably. I'm sure like it had to be like specific locations where you would know. But Still. yeah, that is a concern that I will say used to be high on their on their chart. And I'm since they sold, I I don't know that it actually is anymore. Yeah. It's like oh well, when you sell when you sell your company for an undisclosed amount to a, a massive conglomerate, you can afford to not sell beer for one day. It's it's true, and, and also, who knows? Uh, who knows if they're going to continue with all those practices? Because yeah, yeah, new boss. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well. Uh, Speaking of things that won't sell. Uh, French's mustard beer. When this article from CNET where the, the headline is, it's real, I, I drank it and I must tell you about it. <laughs> Saying it's like a hot, it's like sipping a hot dog and fruit salad at the same time. Oh, God. No. Uh, Look, I'm... I'm, I'm drinking. I'll drink uh, sausage beer. I'll drink pickle beer. Mustard beer is kind of where I'm drawing the line. Well, you, but, and to be, you don't like mustard to begin with, and that just yeah, kind of this insult just, to injury. Yeah, this just sounds disgusting. What if we float some mustard beer on top of some some sausage beer? Maybe, maybe. Well, uh, the person in this article says, "I'll try any beer: chili beer, glitter beer, coffee, maple syrup beer." Dill pickle beer, and now mustard beer. Yes, the same stuff you slather on a sandwich. I would have gone with hot dog, but uh, Colorado brewery Oscar Blues of Dale's Pale Ale fame partnered with the iconic condiment brand French's Mustard to create a concoction billed as a tropical wheat beer brewed with French's mustard and other natural flavors. <laughs> French's mustard is a natural flavor. Other natural flavor, right? But that implies that there's an initial natural flavor, <laughs> and that you can find French's mustard in nature. Well, yeah, mustard just... seed. <laughs> mustard seed, yes. I know. I'm just saying the container of French's mustard. It's yeah. whatever. Grows on uh, trees, obviously. <laughs> well, so apparently the author of this article they ordered a six pack of French's mustard beer on Saturday, and it arrived warm. By courier on Wednesday, uh, and after chilling the can for hours, they they were ready. They popped it, sniffed it, mustardy and fruity with a citrus flair on the nose. They threw up before they could ever drink it. <laughs> it smelled like a summer picnic. It poured it into a flared glass where the scent act, uh, asserts themselves more strongly. Uh, there's a picture there of it being about as yellow as the the mustard can as one would expect looking at the tiles i'm like did they make this a shower beer i was it, like I, that's like the worst background you could have for that they time traveled too they're in a 70s bathroom about <laughs> to enjoy their mustard beer uh it's like they said you must mentally brace for mustard beer you may have rationalized it and affirmed its right to exist but that won't prepare you for the experience of actually drinking it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's weird was the first thing they said they said it tasted like drinking a hot dog and fruit salad at the same time. Ugh. No. There's an emphasis on... See, when you say sipping on a hot dog, I'm just thinking of, like, <laughs> boiled hot dogs and just uh. trying to drink the hot dog water. Oh. 
it makes me think of like the eating competition, the um, the, the Nathan's, Nathan's thing, where they yeah. dip because they have to dip the dip it in the water, and then where they, they dip the buns in the water, and then they like. Yeah. But either just, way, like. <laughs> yeah, they, they do a little shimmy as they <laughs> slide everything down the gullet. Uh, Look, Joe Chestnut is an American treasure. <laughs> Well, so there's an emphasis on tartness rather than sweetness, which they say is a smart move. Uh, Oscar Blues gave some tasting notes, calling out uh, hints of key lime, lemon, tangerine, and passion fruit. How are you tasting any of that over mustard? Mustard, <laughs> mustard is like, you know, that that thing. You if you put one drop of mustard into something, everything is mustard. Yeah. Isn't it basically used to like cover it up rancid meat? I think so. I I'm a huge fan of mustard. That's why it goes on hot dog kinds of mustards. That's why it goes on hot dog things. Because I love regular mustard, spicy brown mustard, Dusseldorf mustard. Like I think it's an abomination because again, Dijon. as soon as you put it on something, you don't taste anything else but that mustard. I I uh, don't hate mustard. I'm just saying that it's not really like I don't a thing drink that it. yeah, it's not a thing that you accent things with. It's a thing that besides, hey, you've come to eat mustard. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm the same you know way. Why you're, well, you're here? I'm the same way with pickles, but I like pickles. I will eat pickle spears like all effing day, but oh, I don't. My want stomach could handle pickle spears all effing day. I don't want them on a burger because as soon as you put them on a burger, it makes the bun soggy and makes it everything's just pickle. Mm. Well, fair. French's mustard beer is currently sold out online, but Oscar Blues has a homebrew recipe available. Casey. It involves he's not in the room with you. He hears me. <laughs> Somehow no, he knows. doesn't need to make this. It but you know he a, will. It no, involves a few puree and a decent glob of French's, in case you're wondering. <laughs> glob. No, okay. The description uh just after the, the delicious part of the with the passion fruit and all that, where it says uh sorry, I was reading that and I was like, no, no. <laughs> this is uh, the mustard floated up inside my sinuses with every sip. <laughs> nope. 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 I was like, oh, why? <laughs> oh, that's. Eesh. Yeah, no, I. Uh, this is like perhaps a a ghost version. A ghost version of, of it, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm down for this. I mean, uh, I'll try uh, it, but. Look, there's a Geta beer that's sitting out at the store that I'm about to go get. Yeah. Just saying, we start cuvee. <laughs> so they they did mention like it. So like the pickle beer we've talked about on the show and and have gotten. Um, maybe this would be good if you actually had like paired it with some kind of, you know, hot dog. Uh, some kind of hot food. dog without pickles. I mean, without pickles, without mustard or brat or something. You know. I'll Still, still, basically a hot dog. Some kind of sausage. Well, slightly different taste, but yes. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I meant in terms of yeah, design, yeah, yeah. not in terms of flavor. <laughs> but yes, so like maybe it's okay if you pair it with something. But yeah, I'm still just like I don't. But then like I don't want to drink the pickle beer, and I, you know, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink <laughs> food beer. <laughs> we're out of uh, yeah. You're at a you're at a ball game. You've ordered a hot dog. Oh, we're all out of mustard. Bring me the mustard beer. You just drink it while you're. Like, oh, you're just like, oh, just <laughs> dipping it in there. Oh. 
Oh, we always end the show on the best notes. Um, <laughs> we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news only show. <laughs> but we do a weekly long form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear, for some reason, and want to support Have a Drink, please go to either patreon.com slash have a drink show or have a drink store.com. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> <laughs>